this is the thing about reviews you don't really know unless you've been using it for months of course, and months. Yeah, yeah, of course. and I haven't been like. using it as my main phone I haven't put my sim card into it I've just been dicking about with it at my desk at home so I can't say I've stress tested it. <laughs> that was thorough, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I bet you're really pleased you sent me that review unit, OnePlus 6. Um, but the long and short of it is, it dicking Will about you? with that. Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. Um, I'm all by myself this week except for Ian Morris because Jamie's off at Mobile World Congress Shanghai on which we're going to hear more about. And uh, Ray's doing whatever Ray does. He's and on holiday, I believe. Yeah, he's nice. just on proper holiday. He was working in the, during the week, but I think today he's got the day off oh, well, to, fair play. to I was on there. the beach. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He stayed uh, in Nice. He stayed in four more days yeah. end, with his family. What is it? Uh, it was an optical thing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. optical. So, okay, um, well, you can, you can tell us all about that. That sounds thrilling. Yeah. Just watch the side. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, just as a reminder, that if you're watching this on the site or on Facebook, you can listen to it on SoundCloud or iTunes. And if you're listening to it, you can watch it on the site or on Facebook. Uh, this week, Ian and I are going to be speaking about Mobile Congress Shanghai and some of the stories that have come from that. We're also going to talk a little bit about God. I've forgotten. What else are we? We're going to talk, talk about, about um, smartphones. Smartphones. Yeah, yeah that's a thing. You've been doing a bit of reviewing, haven't you? Yeah, I've been yeah. doing a bit of reviewing, and there's something else I've wrote about. Uh, <laughs> I <and forgot>. Telecom, <laughs> Telecom Italia. <laughs> Telecom Italia. There it is. Thanks, yeah, Ian. Started, started well. I should I should warn you, listeners, that I went out for lunch <laughs> with someone and had a big gin tonic and half bottle of rosé, so I might be a little. And now, now you're about to launch into a bottle of Jack Daniels. Oh yes, and and for a few weeks now. <laughs> We've had this bottle of JD sitting in the, the studio. We don't know who it is. I think it was given to Ross, but he obviously yeah. doesn't want to drink it. So we're going to have it. So I think yeah. we might as well. Uh. <laughs> what are you saying, Ian? Are you going to yeah, join why me? Not? Why not? <laughs> there we are. Oh, it makes a lovely sound. When it goes Glugging down, sound. It? Sharpened. I'm all right. Yeah, it's all right. He's not going to partake. Let's, uh... So there we are. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, so yes, Mobile Congress, Shanghai. I think the most interesting thing... Loathe as I am to say it, because obviously telecoms.com is nearly always far better than light reading, only joking. Um, <laughs> but the most interesting story for me did come from light reading, mm. and that was uh, Robert Clark, um, light reading's Far East Bureau. Yes. Yeah. Strain. Yeah. Uh, Editor and, at large or whatever. Uh, yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, and he got a chat with the Huawei CEO, <coughs> mm. Eric Chu, is it? I think it's pronounced Chu, yeah. It's, Chu. It's Eric's, Eric Chu. It's, it's Z. E Z Sorry, not Z, X U. See, um, so X is in Chinese, throw me. I think it's. I thought it was like Xiaomi. I thought it well, was. Well, how do you pronounce Xi Jinping? How's that? Yeah, pronounced? you just said it's like SH. SH. So that's what I'm going so for. I'm going for Shu. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, whatever. Eric Shu. Eric, feel free to write in and correct us. Yeah. Um, so uh, Robert chatted to. Yeah. You got Eric an exclusive Xu. interview with him. Exclusive yeah. interview. Mm. Um, and uh, you edited it. Yep. And tell us. Tell us well, some he, of the juicy I mean, it's quite stuff. a wide-ranging interview, okay. talking about all sorts of things to do with 5G and automation, and uh, there's a lot, lot of interesting stuff that came out of that. But I think the, the thing that really got everybody's attention was some of the comments that he made about the US at the moment. Right. Obviously, t very tense times. A bit of aggro between, there. But a lot of aggro between the US and China, and Huawei and ZTE is, you know, big telecom equipment suppliers are kind of caught up in that, as everybody well, knows. big time. ZTE, mm. big time, but even Huawei is... Yep. Um, there's, I mean, they've not been able to do business in the US for, in terms of selling equipment to the big service providers for quite a few years, actually sort of pre And not, a, not allowed anywhere near the public sector. Not allowed they? anywhere near the public sector, and, and, and those kind of restrictions are getting tougher. But as I understand it, there are 
also kind of restrictions on their ability to um, have academic partnerships to do anything with sort of uh, research institutions and universities in the US. And uh, Robert asked um, Eric Shue about this. And he completely lashed out at right. um, at some of the kind of politicians who were yeah totally laid into a couple of the politicians who were sort of um, who've taken a really sort of hardline stance, including one of the people way. who stood against Trump in the it, Republican primaries, if I remember rightly. Is that right? right. Well, Marco the guy Rubio? Marco Rubio, yeah. yeah. So he's he's the one who took a lot of the flack. Um, yeah. I think uh, she sort of said that these guys don't really understand what's going on. They haven't got any kind of idea what uh, these research partnerships involve and. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a concern on their part that mm. they're going to they're going to sort of um, lose some of their intellectual property. And so the that, that was a thing. And, that was a thing. Sorry to bite in at the start of the year that both Light Reading and Telecoms.com covered, and we probably spoke about it on the podcast. Which is this? You know, we all understand that that the Trump administration's more protectionist than previous ones have been. And there's some justification of that. There are, and I'm not going to pick a team here, but there are lots of allegations about. Um, parts of China being a bit playing a bit fast and loose with intellectual property and that sort of thing yeah. uh, and that's certainly how Trump and co see it and then there's the national security stuff and, and then there's the general trade war that's kicking off yeah. and Trump when he was campaigning was chucking a lot of quite hostile rhetoric at China in, a, in an economic context um, so yeah so obviously He's actually starting to look more moderate, isn't he, these days, on, on, on the sort of China... Trump is. In terms of his, the dealings with Huawei and ZTE, I guess. He... Well, did you see what happened with Ivanka? Like, Ivanka got a whole, whole like, list of building approved the same day uh, Trump relaxed, you know, relaxed the sanctions. Oh, OK. Yeah. Oh, right. Yes, That's very uh, dodgy, but... Is that know. what we're saying? We're saying, hold on a sec. Yeah. Coincidence. Yeah, but I yeah, I mean, it was sort of his intervention that seemed to um, save ZTE, which had been on the verge of going out that, of business. But then that, that, that begs the question of, you know, the, the toughest thing to work out with Trump, I don't want to go off on too much of a just overly political hang it's just what, whether he means anything he ever does or mm. whether it's always tactical. Yeah. You know, whether he actually gives a toss about ZTE one way or the other or whether he just thought, let's do a bit of horse trading with the Chinese and throw him a bone on ZTE. Yeah. Um, and maybe he knew that the Senate was going to block what he did, so he did it deliberately so then he could say, oh, the Senate's undermining all his stuff. You just never know, you never know whether he means no. anything that he does. No, you don't. And and, and there's obviously all sorts of uh, angles to this, and there's there's all sorts of other companies and players that are caught, caught up in it. So I think the whole NXP, yeah. um, well, quite Qualcomm issue is one. It's only it? held up in China, isn't it's it? It's held up in China, and, and there's, there's kind of a, a concern that the Chinese will continue to block that unless... You know, Trump sort of uh, gives a few concessions, Quite. I guess, and maybe this ZTE thing was something to do with that, but no one really knows. But it, it um, seems to be entering pure horse trading territory, yeah. which is how Trump seems to like it. He's transactional. He's a, yeah. He does deals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, but but the I mean, this um, comments that um, she made about uh, Rubio and as I said, this sort of so why why is why is Rubio specifically getting grief? Well, Rubio's been particularly outspoken. I think. Okay. I think he's he's been one of the um, ones who's taken a really kind of tough stance. He's really taken a run up at him. Yeah, and um, and the, and the amusing thing really was that after um, after we published the story um, and we quoted Shu sort of you know making these comments about Rubio and saying how ignorant they were. I think is how he described them. And yeah, which is that's not diplomatic language, is it's it? It's not diplomatic language. It's very antagonistic. And, and immediately afterwards, Marco Rubio actually responded in, on Twitter. He actually tweeted the light reading story. Yeah, yeah. With a, a really amusing that was yesterday, response. wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, which is Thursday, Pierre. Basically, basically confirming the. Um, 
I mean, it, it was it was kind of one of those sort of ranty t- tweets, really. Sort of. Yeah. Um, uh, this just shows what Huawei's like, and you know they're off in China ripping everybody yeah, off. Yeah. It was that kind of. I bet you, I bet you, Rubio would never have done a tweet like that two or three years ago. Probably not. So it no. just shows how many Republicans having He's despised Trump's level. yeah, having despised <laughs> Trump in all the you know they yeah. wanted people like Rubio or Ted Cruz or whatever other dudes were involved. Yeah, He's they wanted all the rules of, them. of the game. It's now yeah, and, but, to do th- this but stuff, this shows so. how incredibly pragmatic and yeah. cynical politicians are. Now they're like, okay. You want you want to do Trump? We can do Trump. Yeah. So now they're all getting coming up with this gobby Twitter stuff. Yeah. That Trump's pretty much coined, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Granted, he he still raises the bar more than anyone else. He does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't remember who he was cussing the other day, but it was just total sort of school ground stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. So so that was quite funny, wasn't it? So to seeing a major U.S. politician tweet a light reading story, I thought that was quite cool. Yeah, and it got a, it got a lot of traction, I think, with other other. Um, uh, publications as well. I think we got picked up by the the FT and yeah, Bloomberg. Not all of whom necessarily attributed. They they didn't at first. No, yeah. I think um, what Huawei did was to was to distribute the comments to other news outlets, but just but as not general comments that um, they'd actually been made during a. An so you had to sort of reading. get in touch so, and go hello. Yeah, that was but, with uh, us. But it's a great story by Robert. I mean, it's good that he yeah, asked the him. questions and but, I mean the, the interview itself is really interesting because he does make some um, you know on a, on a kind of more nitty gritty kind of level, uh, I guess. Um, he makes some really interesting remarks about uh, automation and AI and, and why he thinks operators are investing in those technologies. Well, tell us a little bit more about. I think we've more. Have we more or less covered the political intrigue side of it? Yeah, I, never got, I, mean, I, I retweeted it's a it. For tat, isn't it really? It's it's kind of um, it's one of those stories that I don't know what it what it would ultimately show. I, I suppose it shows is still, you know, there's still a lot of kind of barriers there, isn't there, in terms of um, you know trying to trying to get these party sitting around a table I guess and finding some yeah. way around the on-pass but well, I think what it says to me so we we're talking about Rubio adapting to the Trump sort of Twitter rant yeah strategy but perhaps it says something about how that affects everyone else like maybe um, the Huawei CEO wouldn't have been that direct a few years ago either yeah maybe maybe Trump is infecting and actually I don't necessarily disapprove because you know I'm reasonably unfiltered myself yeah maybe he's infected everyone with this shoot from the hip oh things have escalated for sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. just talk mm-hmm. approach yeah which which in some ways when you consider you know again I don't want to get too far into US politics especially not being American myself but I think one of the reasons I've read about that Hillary Clinton didn't win is she seemed a bit too produced a bit too scripted a bit lacking in in sort of normal sort of human qualities yeah and and this is the flip side you're going to get people shooting from the hip talking crap i think the good thing about it though like to get to you know on that point is that it, we know we know immediately what the argument is about there's no kind of yeah. trying to hide the uh, there's no sort of well there's an issue with uh, huawei doing you know research partnerships in the states and huawei kind of responding and saying well we don't think there is i mean these guys have actually in pretty plain terms said you know, Rubio is convinced that there's there's some kind of ripoff happening yeah. if it allows Huawei to to come and sort of form partnerships with U.S. universities. And Huawei is clearly saying, no, it isn't because this is how it works. Yeah. He's actually described how these and actually partnerships you've work. got to so give you, Huawei a bit of sympathy on that because that yeah. you know, looking at five G, we've all written about five G to death and all these partnerships and all this, that, and the other. Um, and you know, the standardisation thing took another step a few weeks ago. Yeah, and all that. And this clearly is a actually quite an admirably collaborative sort of thing yeah it takes a hell of a lot of people all of some many of whom are direct competitors 
to all throw that to the side and, and work towards a common good. It's actually quite a spookily socialist sort of thing, really, Yeah. when you think about it. That's what you should do with NFV. Right. Mm. Well, I think they're sort of trying, but they haven't quite nailed it mm. with NFV. But, you know, there's lots of groups, and, and then there's all these orchestration sort of collaborations and all that sort of thing. Um, they just haven't quite managed it. But, you know, it's good that you bring it up here, because with NFE they haven't managed it, and this serves to illustrate what a good job they've done with radio standards, because actually for various generations, they've more or less got their ducks in a row, haven't they? Maybe it's yeah. easier to do, that's why. Although, although US politicians don't seem to understand that, do they? Because well, that's the point, There yeah. does seem to be this concern that, you know, if they allow ZTE and Huawei to operate in the... You know, in in the U.S. market, they're somehow going to run off with 5G secrets, and Quite. that's going to help China take some big lead. And which is completely um, consistent with this protectionist sort yeah, of philosophy, isn't it? It is. I mean, with with I suppose the other concern is on artificial intelligence, isn't it? That there's a worry that um, uh, Chinese companies are sort of poised to, or, or, right. or even taking a lead in that area, and it could be the companies that um, are behind artificial te- artificial intelligence technologies that get, get used in the future, I guess, are going to be all-powerful, potentially, if those if those technologies yeah. are, are used in all kinds of services and products. Yeah, they're going to be the future Googles and Amazons of the world, aren't they? So so if it's totally. Baidu and... So that becomes know, this sort of socio-politically strategic thing, yeah. like a space race or something like that, where exactly. you've got to be ahead of the game. Yeah, and that's that seems to be one concern, is that... Um, you know that the Chinese companies aren't playing fair. That they're, mm. you know, that there's been this sort of intellectual property issue which dates back years. I know it does, and yeah, um, and it's it's now come to a head. Under well, certainly, Trump. you speak um, off the record to any of Huawei's competitors, and they'll brief you, yeah, about how much tech they might have ripped off ten or twenty years ago. Yeah, um, I'm not going to name any names. Mm-hmm. Well, I I, historically, I think that's how the perception is that those two players, ZTE and Huawei, very much kind of, yeah got themselves going by at least reverse copy, engineering yeah. reverse engineering kind of tactics and I don't think it's very fair these days to suggest that they're not innovative companies in themselves no, they, and, they're, and they're, the copycat thing has been true across all the industries in China though yeah. the what? it has yeah like yeah. car manufacturing they would, they would, yep. you would find a copy of a BMW X5 and all that stuff yeah it's not confined yeah. to telecom it's they, they call it sharing it's, it's the culture a, it's like a, you know oh why can't we just share everything you know why does it have to be well that, I mean that's a fascinating point culture wise because mm. it could just be that the they whole don't see thing is anything wrong there's a really interesting article in the Economist today actually about the um, education system in, in China right and the exam they have to do to be able to get into universities uh, a bit like our probably more like the French baccalaureate I suppose okay I can't remember what it's called um, but it's um, it's quite a critical piece because it says one of the problems with this exam is it's very much about rote learning yeah um, unless it's solving mathematical problems it's very much about you know um, yeah almost learning a dictionary rather than but that's, actually that's an issue I have with academia full stop well anyway. but I think it's it's particularly pronounced in, in China and also I think um, Anything that does sort of stray into more creative areas, like write an essay, right. you sort of have to adhere to party yeah. lines. Like you can't say something that Xi Jinping wouldn't agree with; otherwise, you get marked down. Even well, if it's I genuinely don't thought. think that that Western higher education is that different. It's probably not as formalised. I think, I think that sort of uh, um, sort of cultural orthodoxy that you're describing there that might be on the syllabus it may be written down in black and white in China but as a sort of soft pressure for certainly the stuff I read about it seems to happen quite a lot in further education institutions certainly compared to when I was a student which is a depressingly I long think time it's, ago. Yeah. it's all about showing you have the computing power to memorise all this stuff right. but it would explain for a short period of time yeah, yeah but nothing forget, else yeah, yeah. But, but, but the 
you know, if the Chinese education system is more about rote learning than than trying to sort of come yeah. up with your own original ideas. And where are the Steve Jobs would, types going to come from? It would from? explain some of the, um, you know, some of these issues, wouldn't right. it? This kind of perception that there hasn't been that much original innovation coming out of China. I think that's even a concern in the political level. But it has um, been for a long time. I think time. it's a symptom of the population, the amount of people there. There's so many people. You have to, like, conform. You know, you see, like, small countries like Norway and... They're all about, oh, yeah, let's that do, do your own it. thing because there's I, only a few yeah, million. I, yeah. I think you might be on something there, but I think it's also a sign of what a young country is in terms of proper full industrialization. Mm. Uh, you know, let's not forget that 100 years ago, it was properly agrarian, to use an yeah. Eric Shu term. Mm. Didn't he, didn't he use agrarian he as said that, some uh, diss about Rubio? Well, yeah, I think he said that uh, Rubio and the other, the other senator, whose name I can't remember, he, uh, he sort of said something like there... Um, their bodies are in the information age, but their their minds are still in the agrarian there we age, go. something like that. So, so he would know um, because it's only about 100 years ago that China was, or a lot of China, was very much still sort of like subsistence farming and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And even th- and even when we had the Cultural Revolution, there were obviously all sorts of horrors that happened there under the sort of Maoist time. So the China we know now is very young. 80s mm-hmm. was it maybe kicked off in the 80s yeah so that's 30 yeah. 30 years or so um so you know maybe that's part of it they're still kind of playing catch up in their education i think they also feel like it's their time yeah you know, the, the the pollution thing is an example of that they were like oh the u.s polluted in the 50s they say oh now we can't turn. pollute anymore and china's yeah. like oh no hold on that's our turn now now we are going to pollute we're going to produce a lot of stuff yeah, you know, and so they see it like, oh, you guys were first, so now you're closing the door, you know? No, and I think that's a perfectly yeah. reasonable argument. And, and a lot of these, you know, while while no one no one wants the planet to get screwed up, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to put all the burden on countries that are more dependent on, for example, coal. This is mm. a massive tangent. I will bring it back. Um, yeah. Example on coal, which is more polluting, whereas those who have more advanced technologies like nuclear or sustainable or whatever, mm. um, yes, it does punish them, but. Um, we were going. You were going to tell me some other stuff apart from this, or more political stuff, which I think we can agree is far from clear cut. Yeah. What are some of the other stuff that's been coming out of there? Out of Shanghai this yeah. week. But, well, yeah. Is it well, mainly Robert that's been writing it up? Uh, well, yeah. Robert did that big interview with Eric Shu. Um, He's there on the had, ground. You've had Jamie out there for. Yeah, I'll, I'll get onto Jamie's stuff in a sec. Uh, I mean, the other the other news that caught my attention in particular, which is. Um, Sounds like it's one of those boring industry association announcements that you you kind of go, oh, yeah, another industry group. But I think it's more significant than that is um, this Open RAN Alliance, which actually got set up at Mobile World Congress or it got announced there. Um, But they they weren't formed at the time. there are actually um, two other groups coming together. One's called the XRAN uh, Forum. And RAN is Radio Access Network. RAN is Radio Access Network. So it's basically the, Um, the, the actual wireless bit. Yeah, it's the wireless bit, and um, what they're trying to do is there's, there's a there's a, a, an issue as far as some operators are concerned with the radio access network in that it's not really as open as it should be. A lot of the interfaces that are used in the radio access network prevent you from mixing and matching. Right, they're vendors, proprietary. I guess. Yeah. So right. the radio access network is you know it's it's open in the sense that you know you can. Um, it, you can interlink to any handset, for example, yeah. uh, and you can use any underlying transport network. Once it. it's actually left the but antenna. What, once you actually yeah. go into that bit of it, the radio access network itself, um, you have these various constraints, which is to do with the interfaces that are used. Um, and that's kind of, uh, it's a, I guess it's it's a sign of, of lock-in, you know, vendor lock-in, preventing 
um, operators from using anybody apart from Ericsson. If they if they buy Ericsson's yeah. baseband gear, then they exactly, they which is which is a thing from, from the past that you yeah. know we're we're sort of trying to get past, but you can see why the vendors yeah. would not be wholly so, embrace that. So the open ran. Um, this open RAN group, which has been set up, is basically trying to find alternatives to some of these interfaces um, and trying to trying to create a more open radio access network so that they can break that lock in, spur competition. They think it's going to. I mean, some of the companies like Deutsche Telekom say it would have a massive impact on costs of building out 5G networks, which is crucial if they're going to get these networks built quickly in European markets. Um, it's uh, it could eventually lead to the emergence of like a white box radio market. So you basically buy uh, your radios off the shelf, you know, to go with an Ericsson baseband system. And there's just a lot more kind of competition. Which is is perfect for operators. But you can see why it's worrying for vendors, because then they must worry about commoditization and a race to the bottom and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So there's obvious challenges there to vendors. Although, interesting, Nokia is actually a member of the XRAN forum. Which is one of the so the Oran Alliance is, is actually two groups coming together. One's called the XRAN Forum, which is kind of a Western, you know, lots of Western operators in there, uh-huh. and the other one's the CRAN Alliance, which is a kind of China Mobile um, association. The Oran Alliance is basically combining X and C O are sort of in the middle. It's just open, open round. <laughs> oh, okay, but it's but it's it's now got. They, I think they added another seven members in yeah. Shanghai this week, and they're massive companies. You're talking about. Telefonica, Telstra, yeah. well, uh, ATT. Even there. if it's, they find it a bit antagonistic, they don't want to be on the outside. They at least want to know what's going on, don't they? Well, the the, the trouble is the vendors can't ignore this anymore. Yeah. You know, you've got the biggest operators from around the world in one association, no fragmentation, all saying this is what we want, this is how we want networks to be built. It's not as though the vendors can say, well, we're going to carry on doing things the old way. It's just, it's just too. There's too much pressure now, I think, to yeah. ignore a group like that. And I was, I was speaking law. to Gabriel Brown, the head yeah. reading analyst, about this, and he was basically saying that he expects um, Ericsson, <clears throat> which has been the perception is that Ericsson sort of, you know, not very open. Um, quite likes the way they perceived as the most bought into vendor. Well, I don't know if more so than Huawei. I don't know, but I think Nokia is actually already in the XRAN forum, which kind of by default makes them a member of the ORAN alliance. And I think they seem to be a little bit more adventurous in that regard. Okay. Um, Ericsson's not really had much to say about it, but Gabriel thinks that they're they're probably going to join, you know, Mm -hmm. in the not too distant future. Um, Well, they don't want to send out the message that they basically want to lock in everyone to Ericsson stuff because they know, everyone knows that's not a good look anymore is it it's not you can't you, you, you can't keep fighting something that your customers want want you to do yeah um, and there might be opportunities in it as well this is the thing it's not as though um, it's, it's very much seen as a threat but it could actually um, give some of the vendors opportunities for new kinds of business model um, working more with systems integrators and stitching stuff yeah. together or um, you know working with smaller radio specialists to kind of bring innovation in that has taken too long before because they've just got these priority lists and, and certain things might be quite low down on that so there are actually some attractions to doing it as well but I mean it caught my attention because I've been talking to Gabriel a bit about it in the last yeah. few weeks anyway and the fact that it's got so many big operators now and the fact that it is one global association means it's something that's that's kind of worth watching. And they've already made quite a bit of progress, it seems, on one of the crucial interfaces. So the CIPRI interface, which is the bit that links your radios with your baseband, has been seen as this big kind of yeah. barrier to an open RAN. Um, it's kind of semi-proprietary. Yeah. Um, the XRAN forum has been working on a specification that could be used as an alternative to that. So who knows? You know, in, in, in yeah, years I mean, ahead, maybe that's I mean, something that the three... As an illustration, you look at something like 
micro USB, which all Android phones, except the more recent ones, on which I'll talk about in a bit, yeah. um, use as their interface for charging and for data transfer. I can remember a time where everyone had proprietary yeah. interfaces for their phone. You get, you'd have to have a Sony one or a Nokia one. You'd even get these weird little connectors that had about Umbrellas. 10 branches coming off them. Yeah. Um, and so that, that seems to me a sort of good illustration of why having an open unified interface it just helps everyone no no one would go back to those is this a segue you're doing a little bit no I'm not moving on to that next thing yet although I will it's a delayed segue right yeah I mean um, I mean, openness doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's going to run off and, and start using different radios with you know their Ericsson baseband gear anyway um, it puts pressure on Ericsson to show that its radios are the best but um, it still has an advantage there as the supplier of the uh, baseband equipment. Yeah, um, quite. You know, operators are concerned about working with too many equipment suppliers. It creates a bit of confusion. You know, yeah. you've got the and you can't force people to spend money. With you. So it's not it's not necessarily as big a threat as I think it's perceived to no. be. It's um, but you can see how within companies um, where people have got their little fiefdoms, they've got little silos. They've got. Uh, I've spent twenty years building up my career as the person who's really good at this yeah. and now someone's suggesting that that stuff becomes marginalised in favour of openness you can see how they get resistance but that's yeah. where leadership from the top comes that's where the CEOs has got to go tough shit yeah. this is where we're going if you don't like it well, see you later I mean that's the um, that's where the doubts come in I guess because Ericsson doesn't seem in, in many ways like the most adventurous sort of right. outgoing type of company and I'm sure from they, my trip over there the, they, they would want the, to the current CEO doesn't seem like that kind of person at all right um, he's very much as a wonkish figure isn't he he's right. there to well oh, I don't know good. Eric's going to be listening to this they'll be on the phone to you they'll be like Ian you couldn't be more wrong well hmm. I don't think anybody's saying that, that Boyek or how, how oh, you I'm, I'm not sticking up it's not my job is, to stick up for him is, I'm just is, telling is, you what I reckon Ericsson of, um, would think if they heard you you know young daring sort of and he's very much brought in to try and knock that business into shape and get yeah, it back yeah, to he's profitability. He's not. He wasn't brought in to, to, to try and shake the boat too much. Well, you can, um, do you know what? I was listening to a podcast the other day. I think it was a Rogan podcast, Pierre. I know you and I are both fans. And they, and they were talking about two different types of president you can get. You could get a bean counter type who's like efficient and manages the stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. Or you can get a figurehead type yeah. who gives good sound bites and, and you want him turning up at state events. And they're often mutually exclusive. People are normally one or the other. Whereas actually what don't you want is be, both. And yeah. and they you know, don't have to be, but on a, they tend to be. Yeah. And Americans tend to vote in more the figurehead type. Someone like Trump or JFK or Obama. Or Reagan. Or Reagan, yeah, yeah, or Clinton. You know, most of these people are quite sort of charismatic um, people pleaser types. Um, and then he talked to, they, they generalize about Europe, which doesn't necessarily apply, but they said in, in some... They said in Europe you tend to get the president and the prime minister. Yeah. Of course, in the UK we don't have a president, but in France well, we've got you have a very a charismatic royal family. We've got a royal family. Yeah, well, charismatic, perhaps not so. <laughs> oh yeah, are you implying that the prime minister does more? And then the well, that was that was what does. what this Rogan yeah. podcast was That's talking true, about. Though. And you know, it's it's a massive oversimplification. It doesn't apply to every European country, for example. It doesn't apply to the UK. But if you've got one guy who's an administrator or girl. And another guy or girl who's the charismatic figurehead type, then that sort of makes sense. Then you don't have to worry about whether the one person you've elected has got enough of each. It's funny yeah. you said that. You and that applies to CEOs. Sorry, that's why I went on that tangent. A bit of attention, but the Prime Minister of New Zealand just gave birth and she's on maternity leave. But and she's the first she's ever the, Prime Minister yeah. to have a kid while she's in office, isn't no, it? No, no, no. To take the maternity leave, though. 
I think it's been You've got to have a bit of time off haven't you Yeah but it's the first time ever You can't just backflip out of maternity ward And get straight back on the job (laughs) I don't know that I think it's great Yeah yeah Mm. Good fun Anyway, okay, I, moving I, on. I think Ekholm is very much the um, more the bean counter, the, the more type. The bean counter yeah. type. Now, maybe that's being a little bit unfair to him, but well, I think when he, I think when he was brought in, that's what was needed anyway. So right. uh, it's not necessarily okay. criticism. Yeah, um, I'm going to talk very briefly. No, I'm things. getting Pierre's waving his fingers around in a sort of Gallic. Are, are we going to bring more of that, or is it just going to? Do you want another little, another little shot? Not to now that we've to throw yourself into the next topic. Yeah. Okay, well, well Jamie, if you're watching this some. while you're on holiday in Thailand, we're going to skip you, mate, because we banged on too long about the other stuff. But Jamie's been doing a great job talking about all sorts of stuff from there. Um, maybe we'll get him to talk about it when he comes back. No, maybe mention a few. Come on. No, no, you said I'm not allowed. Okay, fine. Okay. So actually, Jamie, it's Pierre's fault. <laughs> we're not talking about you. Um, other stuff I've written about. Yeah, telecom, talking about CEOs. Mm. Um, telecom Italia. So we've chatted about this a few times on the pod. They uh, no, I think we're talking about smartphones first. Oh, is that was was that in the order? All right, all right. okay. Yeah. But that's only because I forgot the <laughs> telecom Italia thing when we're doing the stuff at the start. All right, I better do it in the order See, that Pierre's going to do the little captions. You abused your position as a journalist to get a load of handsets. Sent okay, to you. yeah, yes, okay. you did. So basically, here is it. I've got this um, Samsung Galaxy S7, which I've had for two years on a contract, so which means I'm coming to the end of my contract. And typically, you go, okay, well, what am I going to get now? Because an what, iPhone. What, well, possibly, uh, because what they do is they keep you on the pricey contract by dangling a new free mm. handset. Uh, and I thought, okay, let's find out. You know, I, I used to be a, hand, a smartphone analyst, but I haven't been for four years, and I kind of lost track of what's hot and what's not. But you know, I read a little, a few reviews. Samsung still gets quite well reviewed. The, the S9 is out now, and other ones that had caught my eye and there are plenty of others for example from Huawei and LG um, that, that get good reviews but the other two that caught my eye is the Google own brand one which is called Pixel and the one that's currently available is called the Pixel 2 but there's Pixel 3 on the horizon mm. and another one is a sort of uh, startup although they've been going around for a few years now called OnePlus and they're a Chinese company but they've got quite sort of western brand and, and marketing and all that sort of thing now Samsung's obviously Samsung. They're one of the biggest technology companies in the world. This S7, I've got to say, I'm probably not even going to get anything because this S7 still works so mm. well that I'm probably going to switch to SIM only and save myself you 20 quid a two month or whatever that, I get. Fine, yeah, yeah well, at least one, at least six months to a year more mm. until you, it starts to wind me up. But you keep the same handset. And- yeah, and switch to SIM only. So, you know, I'm with EE. I'm currently paying, whatever, 40-odd yeah. a month. Um, I could probably shave ten or twenty quid off that yeah. because half of half of that is just repaying the subsidy now, on yeah. the phone. Oh no, a, a decent contract is fifteen. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So let's say I say let's say half my mobile phone bill. That's that's not Americans listening here are like what this is. Yeah, I know because they all pay about hundred bucks yeah. or something. Don't they? <laughs> um, or I could just get the latest thing, which Showing is obviously how behind appealing. They really are in telecom. Well, they pay a lot, man. They yeah, pay I know. A lot. It's I don't quite know why. It's yeah, I don't know. It's well, it's it's, uh, it's you know it's a bit of a tangent, but a hundred dollar um, bill per month is absolutely normal. This, this perception they're kind of way ahead, you know, in five G and everything. Uh, I was talking to I can't say who it is because it's off the record, but a very senior executive at an operator was saying that he thinks um, yeah, that's all very well, but you go over there and you can't get good signal coverage every yeah. anywhere. You've got all sorts of problems. I with think they have a monopoly quality, problem over there. So, well, that's the issue, isn't it? There's four. Mm. Four companies in a market of like much bigger people. Yeah, whereas we've got um, we've got four and a bunch million. of MVNOs in a much smaller space. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and it's even worse. MVNOs are there over there even? 
Is no, it, something like US mobile. I forget. Disney had one at one time, but I'm not sure if they. <laughs> Disney. <laughs> well, we have like Tesco. Where, anyway, you get a Disney and VNO, but you, your voice has got to sound yeah, like Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck. What Tesco works though, doesn't it? They're quite yeah, successful. It's I just think. like the funny branding. Tesco is one of the more successful. And most European markets have a lot of MVNOs now because the merger activities often produced MVNOs. Have said you have to. Yeah. You know, sell capacity to MVNO. It's like having a, a Walgreens plan in the US, you know. Do you know what I mean? Are you, you pay, Sprint like, AT&T? No, I'm with Walgreens. Walgreens. You pay $100 <laughs> a month for quality. Yeah. yeah. So no, I, I think, I think consumers, G, consumers definitely have less uh, choice. And if you look at things like the sort of AT&T Time Warner thing being approved, Americans are clearly a bit more chilled out about a few big companies calling all the shots than we are in Europe. Mm. I'm not going to go off on the massive that's tangent because, about yeah, that. They don't leave, that. That's because, because they don't France. leave the US and come to Europe and realise what great mobile phone companies we have. Well, there is that as well. Have. Was it some proportion of Americans that even have a passport? Well, anyway. it's much bigger there, much more land. You know, it's harder. Yeah. Anyway, I thought you yeah, we were yeah, trying to nip this tangent on the head and make your mind up. There's 700 million people in Europe. I mean, it's a few, isn't it? Yeah, several governments, though. 700, 700 and counting. Well, there's a lot of rural and remote areas in yeah, Europe. Yeah. You know, it's not like we're... No, no, no. Um, Agreed. What were we saying? We're getting so back you to were trying the S9, the yeah, OnePlus, yeah. and the That's Pixel it. 2. Okay. And you don't so, like any of them, you're going to So I thought I'd check it out. So yeah, as you, as you <coughs> kindly pointed out, I'm abusing my position as a technology journalist. And I just sent emails. You know, we're oh, you did write a review, so... Yeah, I did write yeah, a review. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I thought that's the least I could do. It'd be really cheeky if I got review units and just sent them back and just didn't write anything. Um, but you know, the review I wrote was not a proper review like you'd get on, I don't know, The Verge or on Trusted Reviews or something like that. Um, you know, they were really exhaustive and they pages and pages. Mine was a much more Maybe anecdotal. Maybe always needed. Well, hopefully. Well, that's all you're getting from me anyway. Yeah. Mine was a much more anecdotal. I had these phones. They seem all right. Also, you're reviewing yeah. phones that are like a year old already. So you didn't need, to, you know. Oh, quite I, a year I think those, Yeah, those, they haven't just come out. Yeah, I yeah. think those Verge reviews and some of them are too... Um, yeah. They're not pitch. I mean, most people who buy a phone want your kind of review, I would imagine. Yeah, well, see, I actually because put mine up. I don't I don't that, often put my own stuff up on Facebook, so I don't mean... Yeah, but most people watch their four-minute video. They don't write... They don't... I mean, I think they like watch the video more than they actually yeah, read the yeah, three yeah. pages. But I put my one up on Facebook just to see if it'd be useful to anyone. Anyway, so I got hold of those three. I got the Galaxy S9, I got the Pixel 2 XL, and I got the OnePlus 6, which incidentally, if you put OnePlus 6 into Google, it just says 7, which isn't very <laughs> helpful, is it? Um, but uh, anyway, cut a long story short, they're all great phones. The thing is, you're not going to get a phone. Yeah. I mean, even if you only spend 300 quid, you're going to get a pretty decent phone. Jamie's Motorola is pretty decent. That only costs that costs about 250 He's to got buy a brand new. Yeah, wow. bless him. I feel maybe it's longevity. That's like you, you'd be cheap. You could buy a cheap Chinese phone, but maybe it'll last just three years and then die. Yeah, that. Three years is fine. The, the normal upgrade cycle is two years for a phone. I know, yeah. So it's like disposable almost. How long do you think you'll, ha- you'll hang on to your X for? Yeah, no, not even that. Yeah, it's true. Cause oh, but you're all into reselling. And you're yeah, all, yeah, yeah. You're all entrepreneurial. Because then you start losing it, money, you? yeah. Um, to cut a long story short, they're all good phones. It's really hard to tell them apart. They've all got top chips in them. They've all got great screens. They've all got great cameras. It's all groovy. And they're all about the same size and shape. And they're all just a big rectangular black touch screen difference is the one plus six costs 470 quid and the other ones cost 800 quid right so that's 330 quid difference so as i wrote in the conclusion to my thing are the other ones 330 quid better or to put it into more tangible terms you can get an iphone se the shittiest 
iPhone, which is basically like an iPhone from about three or four generations ago. But you can get one new yeah. um, for 350 quid. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if that cheap one, the OnePlus 6... Um, you know, if you've been, if it, you know, after a few weeks, it kind of falls apart like a crappy pair of well, jeans. The I reviews I've read yeah, is it's it pretty good, actually. The but reviews I've read, yeah. I mean, that's I've, true I've with other brands. But you, you know, this is the thing about reviews: you don't really know unless you've been using it for months. Of course, and months yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. And I haven't be been like. using it as my main phone. I haven't put my SIM card into it. I've just been dicking about with it at my desk at home. So I can't say I've stress tested it. <laughs> it was thorough, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet you're really pleased you sent me that review unit, OnePlus Six. Um, <laughs> But the long and short of it is, it dicking were about you, with that. The experience you in your of dicking about that. Were was, you in your underwear? When you just <laughs> that's, that's a very personal question. Do you know what I do, actually? I'll reveal this, especially as I'm necking the JD at the moment. Uh, most of the time, I wear pyjama bottoms when I'm working from home. Yeah. I wear a T-shirt and pyjama bottoms. I'm not say what I wear, because we talked about my clothing enough. Yeah, you got yeah, cussed enough last week. Yeah. So I wear these sort of checks. They're from, they're from Fat that. Face. They're sort of like... Pajama bottoms slash lounge pants, <laughs> I think is what they are. But anyway, so it was your point that just the price difference? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So 330 quid, uh, can you justify that? And I don't think so. And my conclusion was, if I was just going to buy one, if I wasn't getting it as part of a contract where I'm basically getting incentivized through perceived subsidies, um, there's no way I could go, okay, I can have this and that th- pile of 330 quid, which I can spend down the pub or whatever. Yeah. Or I can not have that pile and have this. I just don't see how I could go for the latter option. Mm-hmm. Is my view. It's kind of like buying a, 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 a you know, computer. You get a an ordinary PC laptop that costs you what four hundred quid, or you go and buy a Mac, a Mac that costs you a thousand. Yeah. And and, and you, you is think it that's 600 a massive difference? Is it six, but at the moment, I'd say yes. I mean, I've had my Mac for seven years and. It's really slowed down actually in the last year. Well, but that's fair but enough. seven years. But seven years is a long time, and I've innings. never had a PC that's that's been no, anything after more than two years. Also, it depends. So like if you buy, because I bought mine, it was top of the line six years ago, and it's still perfectly fine now. So if you buy the cheapest one, maybe it'll last five years. But if you buy the top of the line, you'll get. So you know. And do you know the funny thing about this? Having covered the PC sector in the past, you know, Macs use the same components. Largely as PCs, they use Intel chips. But it's funny, the, they the use first the thing same you said brands about the phones, of RAM, yeah. motherboard, all that sort of thing. So, so I think two things. But I don't. I'm not. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm sure. You, I'm sure. Yeah. So software is obviously a big one, um, and and maybe it's just the industrial design of the whole chassis and all that sort of thing is more durable. Uh, but yeah, fair play to Apple. They managed to use the same components and, and make a computer that lasts twice as long. As a PC, well, that's the first thing you said. Look at the internal components, and I was like, I don't care about this as long as yeah, it yeah. works. Yeah, if if the fine. software allows for a, a, a slower CPU and the experience is seamless, yeah. then it doesn't matter what's inside. It's like you know the little flicking light you used to have on PCs, telling you the hard drive is working. He's doing stuff. Why do you need that? Yeah, if it's I if know it if works, it's doing stuff because yeah, it's working. Th- but that doesn't exist anymore. That you know, that's something that stopped in like 2005, maybe. No, know. no, my my desktop. If it works, oh yeah, the reassuring desktops, LED desktops on it. Do, yeah, yeah, which is great because it still flashes when the fucking thing's not working. <laughs> So that kind of defeats the object of it. Um, so yeah, that's the long and short of it. I would say if you're looking for a flagship phone, the Pixel and the Galaxy are probably a little bit better than the OnePlus 6, but not 330 quid better. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I would go for that. And I fully expect OnePlus, I've been writing such, saying and writing such nice things about them than to send me bottles of champagne or maybe even Jack Daniels. Oh, nice. yeah. um, Thank so, you, yeah. OnePlus. No, honestly, OnePlus is uh, yeah, it's pretty good. 
Taiwanese company, maybe, is it? No, Chinese? I think it's Chinese. Okay. Oof. But well, could be Taiwanese. Taiwanese. A lot of people. I, I need to look that. it up. Okay. Uh, last thing. So I tried to talk about that a minute ago, but Pierre told me it was in the wrong order. Um, Telecom Italia. Mm. So this is just... Uh, it's always fun and games at Telecom Italia. Well, exactly. We haven't got too much time left, but this is just a bit of sort of uh, uh, head office fun. So yep. just to recap, with Telecom Italia, and we've spoken about this before, um, they've got this C... That, Basically, Vivendi's been mucking about with Telecom Italia for a while. They bought a bunch of stocks such that they own about a quarter of it. Haven't they? Haven't they sort of been edged out a bit by this Elliot the Capital? Well, this is recently? this is what I'm leading up to. Right. Um, so they bought about a quarter of the stock, and their whole plan was with just a if you, if they have like twenty nine point nine twenty four point nine recurring percent of the stock, they don't have to formally make a takeover bid. But if they go over that twenty five percent threshold, then they do. So they thought, okay, we'll just have twenty nine point nine percent of the stock but we will use the fact that we are the biggest single shareholder by quite a long stretch to influence the board mm. and we'll have mainly our appointees on the board and we'll basically call the shots without having to go through all the trouble of actually acquiring the company um, and then this uh, activist investor group Elliot turned up as he said and we're holding a minute Vivendi is you know we're not gonna let you have it all your own way and they own a much smaller proportion of the stock but enough that they can counter them in sort of AGM. Well, I think they got the Italian government on their side as well, didn't they? Right. Which came in and, and bought shares, but um, with its shares added to Elliott's, it was uh, a bigger power base, obviously, right. in terms of votes. Yeah, and there'll be all sorts of geopolitical yeah. stuff going on, yeah. like Vivendi's a French company, yeah. Telecom Italian Italian government obviously Italian. Like Vivendi, basically, does it? So, it well, seems. Well, I mean, and you can imagine, we're all protectionists. This is one of the funny things, just to have a brief mm. tangent about Europe. Yeah. Is it supposed to be one big Europe? But we're all still sovereign countries that have our own little bits of protectionism. And, mm. you know, we don't like flogging stuff to whoever and, and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's understandable that a national champion like Telecom Italia, the government f might feel a little bit twitchy about it being basically run without yeah. them even bothering to buy it by a French conglomerate. Yeah. So Elliot, probably sensing this, which I think is a UK um, based setup. Um, came in and went, all right, you know, we'll see about that. We're going to put our own slate of dudes up for the majority of the board. And then they had a big vote about it about a month ago and turned out Elliot won, mm. even though Vendi had more, in principle, more influence. Yeah. Now, the thing they is... They've got other, other shareholders to, to side with them, yeah? Yeah, I guess mm, so. Basically. I guess yeah. so. Enough enough other shareholders were probably not happy about this sort of yeah. Vendi mucking about. Because it's, it's a lot of Italian institutions, isn't it? That uh, make up the kind of rump of the right of the shareholding well, you, base, right, and um, and sort of pension funds, yeah, pension and that funds, sort of thing. Kind of thing. Yeah, and God knows, you know, I, you know, I've I've got some tiny little bits of investment that I basically stick in funds and cross my fingers. That's about as much thought yeah. as I spend thinking about equity markets. But people who spend a lot more time thinking about it, um, maybe some slightly sort of emotional, irrational things like sort of national sentiment. Yeah, come into play, um, and but so so the funny thing leading up to the story I wrote is the guy who's the CEO of Vivendi, who seems to be a, a top guy called Amos Genish, yeah, um, was pretty much put there by Vivendi. Yeah, he so he's the CEO of Telecom Italia, not Vivendi. Yeah. Sorry. But he used to be chief operating officer of Vivendi. Yeah, he's very much a Vivendi like guy. Something like that, yeah. So he's been put there, and he's come up with... Well, their chairman's Vivendi background as well, isn't he? This Arnold... Yeah, well, no, he's, he's, yeah. he's like the head of Vivendi. He, he is the head of Vivendi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's got this wonderfully aristocratic... Yeah. Pierre, a, a name Puy, like Puy, De Puyfontaine. De Puyfontaine. Well, there's yeah. D, yeah, yeah, De something. De Puyfontaine. That's pretty yeah. noble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he's a, he's a French toff. 
Um, and so they got him in charge. They got this guy, Amos Koenig, who, to be fair, is Israeli, I think, but a, a Vivendi guy. And and yet Elliot now constitutes the majority of the non-executive board. And but they said as soon as they got him in, they said no, we want we want um, Genish to hang around because he's a good lad. He yep. knows what's going on. He's got a great plan. We're all we're all behind him. Uh, and they obviously didn't want too much disruption because ultimately they're an activist inventor, investor. They don't want the stock going down the toilet. Um, but we all kind of wondered. There's got to be some tension there. Yeah. And then in the last week or so. Um, Genish has been quite overtly briefing against his own board in right. the press. He's basically been so coming out against the Elliot guys, the yeah, Elliot, yeah. Elliot appointees, basically. So he hasn't explicitly mentioned them, but he said some people in the board yeah. have been stirring the shit. Was to paraphrase him, yeah. you know, briefing against him in the press, something like right. that. And this was all reports. And he said this to a bunch of reporters. This wasn't even right. just some leak. He yeah, said it like quite a press openly. Conference or something. Yeah, sort of thing. <laughs> You know, <laughs> press conference entitled "Why Am I Border Wankers?" <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and then and then I was, and this was just ahead of the AGM, right? So it was obviously quite deliberately timed as well. So in the AGM, they had to come out with this sort of thing where he goes, where they said, "Well, you know, he he understands that that perhaps wasn't so cool to say, and and we're all playing for the same team. It's all groovy. Please don't hate us." Yeah, sort of thing. Um, and yeah, that's the only reason I mention it. Is in hindsight, it seems inevitable that Genish was going to speak up sooner or later. I think what he was saying to the Elliot guys is, look, I've got, there's a line in the sand here. Okay, we all, we all want Telecom and Tele to do well. We all want things to progress, but don't take the piss too much. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you've got to do that publicly, which is great for people like us. Same reason as at the start of this podcast, we're talking about Eric Shue briefing against yeah. certain people. Yeah. I, f- I find the whole the whole sort of oh, fall off my chair here. The whole um, <laughs> you haven't enough JD. That's the problem. I know. I need some more. This, the, the whole <laughs> there sort you of, go, mate. Yeah, don't not? be shy. Uh, all this the, this toing and froing with um, telecom attack quite confusing, really. Why is that? What confuses you about it? In terms of what um, what Vivendi is trying to achieve um, yeah. with Telecom Italia, and also do you have what, any theories? Well, the big thing about Vivendi's overarching strategy is that it wants to be a big kind of media player, big sort of media powerhouse in Europe. Yeah. yeah. And it's got both media and telecom interests. It has a whole bunch of other stuff as well, I think. But it's very much mainly a media business content, you know, and I think it owns a big stake in um, the main Italian broadcaster. Actually, media one set. Of them, media set, yeah. yeah, which is part, which is controlled by Berlusconi, if yeah. I remember rightly. But they have a big stake in that. And... Um, all these oligarchs that all go off on holiday in Capri exactly, together. Exactly, yeah. And the big, the big kind of um, what everybody assumes is that they want to create this big. I mean, they've even said it themselves. They want to be a kind of European alternative to Netflix. I think they right. said at one time a couple of years ago. And, and it's and all it's, about scale, isn't it? When you get into yeah, a conglomerate, it's very hard to see how some of the assets that they have really fit into that strategy. Mm-hmm. And also, what they've been doing with Telecom Italia. Now, I, I, if I was in the um, Italian government, and you're concerned about things like infrastructure. And you know that your country has decent broadband networks, and you don't want to fall behind on that front because you could find yourself not very competitive with other markets where, mm-hmm. you know, they're rolling out fibre or five G or whatever it might be. I'd be very upset if the main operator was, you know, not making a bit like BT. I guess it's always under pressure to make investments in gigabit speed right. infrastructure, and I, and I guess if they weren't Certain doing things that, of sort of national be, interest, yeah, you'd be upset, and you and if, if they're spending lots of money on content, you'd be thinking, well. You know, um, this doesn't really suit the yeah. It doesn't really suit the national interest. 
But from what you see that's happened at Telecom Italia in the last couple of years is that they've really kind of been ramping things up on the infrastructure front. It's not as if they've been going and rolling out fibre to the home networks to every home, yeah. but they've certainly been extending 4G coverage. They're much more competitive now than they used to be. So you don't think it's an either market. or? You think they've been doing their job despite they, I mean, all the other stuff? Telecom Italia, if you look at its performance metrics, I'm not talking about share price performance, yeah. but in terms Just of... delivering substantial prof- stuff. There was a time when they were like a, a laughing stock and they were like everybody in mobile was hammering them. And they've actually t- really turned a corner in the mobile market. You know, yeah. they're making investments in fibre to the curb networks. Yeah, quite the a guy, lot of the, the early 5G stuff's been happening in Italy as well. I can't remember his name, but it begins with, it might be, it's not Catuano, because they had... Oh, yeah, Cataneo. Uh, Cataneo. He, he really seemed to do quite a good job in terms of trying to knock yeah. it into shape, trying Until to, trying he to make it Until he got turfed out for not sucking up to Vivendi yeah, enough. Yeah, he did get sucked. But while he was there, you know, he, he, he was working on making it a leaner business. He was, um, he seemed to be making investments yeah. in infrastructure. It was much more competitive than it, had, than it had been for a long time. I think its margins might even have gone up. You know, it's, it's kind yeah. of operating. So it, it's, it's kind of hard to see why the Italian government has such a big issue with it in a lot of ways. You know, that it's not... Um, they seem to feel that it's not doing its bit for oh the country's God. infrastructure. I, I don't think, know. Maybe it's just a weird nationalistic I think, thing. Yeah, exactly. And but I also think you get certain things that are so big that they've just become political footballs. Yeah. Like, it's not... It, so it's I, don't, not a, I don't understand what Vivendi's trying to do, and I don't really understand what yeah, the Italian okay, government's problem is. So I've got, I got a couple of theories on that, and then we better wrap it up as we're getting close to sort of running out of juice on the cameras, probably. Close to Jack Daniels' time. <laughs> I think we've been in Jack Daniels' time for a little while. I've one little... <laughs> Gird my loins for the final run-in. Oh my God! Can't wait for this wrap-up. It's going to be <laughs> yeah, um, world class. So another thing, <laughs> another thing. You all <laughs> um, on the Vivendi side, they've been, in my view, a little bit scattergun for a while. If you look at Vivendi Universal, they bought Universal Studios. Yeah. You look at Ubisoft. So they bought uh, a movie studio, they bought a computer games studio, yeah, publisher. Video um, games, yeah, well, same thing. You what? Video no. games, computer games. Is that does that show my age? Bit, yeah, it does. They own oh, like okay. PR companies as well, don't they? They sort of um, yeah, have us. In, yeah, in have, trouble, aren't they? Oh yeah, and <laughs> have us has, and have us has been doing the PR yeah. for this whole thing. So yeah. so you've got conflicts of interest potentially. I'm not saying anything. They've got big issues in Africa, haven't they? They're under, right. they're under investigation for uh, yeah for corruption, I think. Right. Uh, okay. So, um, and this happens when you start dipping your toes into all sorts of things. Look at the agro Rupert Murdoch's had trying to buy up rest of Sky in the UK. Yep. Everyone's worried about media plurality. When you're involved in too many things, regulators are quite rightly going to go, well, hold on a sec. If you yeah. own that and that and that. And again, in the States, they're a bit different. They've all just gone, fair enough, AT&T, you can own Time Warner. Yeah. Even though now, if you want um, Game of Thrones, you might have to subscribe to AT&T or something like that. Yeah. Anyway. Um, you might, but, get net, might not get Netflix at the same speed that you used to. Well, quite, all that sort of thing, and net neutrality, and, yeah. and these countless other tangents we could go it's off It's going to be a lot of buffering, yeah. <laughs> exactly, but swirly, yeah. swirly yeah. stuff going on. <laughs> um, but Vivendi, I just think, for about 20 years, they've been quite haphazard. It's always been the area of media, but I agree with you, there hasn't been a really coherent strategy. Yeah. And I'm not sure why. We'd obviously have to speak to Mr. Vivendi. What's the name of the guy who's in charge? Anyone remember? Uh, it's v- Vincent Bellore. There it? we go. Or Vincent yeah. Bellore. Because there's a few yeah. big conglomerates in France. I get confused. Yeah. There's Vivendi. There's well, Bellore is the main shareholder in Vivendi. Right. And Vincent Bellore, I think, is the CEO of, or was. I think he might have taken a step back and his sons now come in and take right. over. As you do, you hand they it like, to your son. They're like a big dynastic um, conglomerate. So are you France, saying like they're sitting on a gold mine and they're just well, not no, really I'm, using it? 
Well, maybe, but no, what I'm really saying is I don't even know what their strategy is, other mm. than just buying stuff every now and then. Maybe but they don't it, either. Yeah, I suspect so. The mere fact that you're an oligarch doesn't mean you know what you're doing. Mm. It's probably spending too much time drinking Jack Daniels. Anyway. Well, he should um, be. <laughs> Jack Daniels <laughs> sharpen your Something up. more expensive than Jack Daniels. And then from the, yeah, and then from the Italian side... Um, I think what happens when you've got a national champion, so let's take an extreme example, they're, they're, they're public sector. Taking the UK, every time you get a new government come in the UK, they dick about the NHS, they dick about the schools. Those are the two political footballs. I've got, I know I've got mates who work in the health and mates who work in education, and they're completely sick of it. Every new electoral cycle, a new bunch of stuff just gets thrown at them. It messes with morale, it messes with continuity, it messes with quality control, all sorts of things. And maybe... National, former nationalised telecoms get a, to a certain degree that amount of yeah. political aggro, especially in a market like Italy, I guess, which is perceived to be, you know, not 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 perhaps as forward thinking as it should be in Possibly. many respects. Um, so, I, so I don't I I don't have answers to your queries. In fact, I, I sympathise with you, and I, there's still not that much sign of a sort of coherent um, strategy from Vivendi, and presumably all this stuff with Elliot has complicated it, but. To sign off, it gives us plenty to write about, and I like nothing more than a CEO briefing against his own non-exec board. Because there's non-exec board are the ones that can fire him. Yeah. The only person the CEO is accountable to is the non-exec board. Yeah, and yet he's cussing them in the media, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, nice one, Guinness. You've just yeah. gone up in my estimations. Ballsy. Yeah, we like a bit of that with the Jack Daniels to. With the Jack Daniels. To, so to um, yeah. So on that note. Actually, we haven't drunk that much, have we? Look, no, it's only a little. That's bit. probably not even. It's been a, sort of more cosmetic, responsible. Yeah. yeah, responsible alcoholism. Responsible drinking during that's, the podcast. That's what I'm all about. As Ray um, Winston would say, I drink responsibly. And now we'll just go and neck the rest and get, have a fight in the street. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks for listening to that. That was good. I, I like these dialogue ones. Every mm. now and then, they're a bit different. Yeah. And thanks for your contribution as well, Pierre. And thanks for bearing with us. Make sure you join us for the next one. <laughs>